Uh, Acts chapter 18, verse 24 is where we start today. Please flip there. Acts 18. Our passage today will be a little bit lengthy, uh, just because I, I want us to see the layers of what's happening. And we're going to read through chapter 19, verse 10. If you remember, we have just started the third missionary journey of Paul. He had spent a, a significant amount of time at the tail end of the second journey in the city of Corinth. And then he made his way back to Antioch. And it says that he spent some time there. And after that, that he departed once again. And he was able to preach in the previously closed off area of Asia, in the Galatian region, in Phrygia. And we just saw him uh, in that brief verse of 23 in chapter 18, just strengthening the disciples. And we just talked about how we can re-engage closed doors last week. And so in today's message, Layers, we'll start from verse 24. It says, Now a certain Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian by birth, an eloquent man, came to Ephesus, and he was mighty in the Scriptures. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and uh, being fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus, being acquainted only with the baptism of John. And that's John the Baptist. Verse 26, And he began to speak out boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, and if you remember at the end of the second journey, Paul had left those two, that couple, in that city of Ephesus, right? And so Priscilla and Aquila, they met Apollos and uh, it kind of ensues. And they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And so they're explaining that it's not just what John preached. Now we want to go into the ministry of Jesus. And that's what Priscilla and Aquila was teaching them. Verse 27. And when he wanted to go across to Achaia, the brethren encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he had arrived, he helped greatly those who had believed through grace, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. And it came about that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper country, came to Ephesus and found some disciples. And he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, No, we have not even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? And they said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in him who, had, uh, who was coming after him, that is, in Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking with tongues and prophesying. And there were in all about twelve men. And he entered the synagogue and continued speaking boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some were becoming hardened and disobedient, speaking evil of the way before the multitude, he withdrew from them and took, and took away the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of uh, Tyrannus. And this took place for two years, so that all who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Amen. Let me refresh your memory with this map. I uh, want to show you this map of all 
of Paul's journeys. The book of Acts records four of, four of them. We're in the third. So if you see here, right here in the, in the legend, the green line, that's the first journey, right? It started in the city of Antioch in Syria, and he, he, he sailed across, and he went just into this region, and then he kind of traced his way back. And so the first journey really focused in this area, right? In Pisidian, Antioch, Lystra, Iconium, Derbe, kind of right here. Okay, this is where that first journey was, was uh, central to. And the second journey, if you'll see, it's the orange one. And it starts again from Antioch, and then it goes. And it goes back to that same region that he went and planted churches on his first journey. And if you remember, the door was shut in Asia and Bithynia. And so these two regions here and here were closed off. And from Antioch in Pisidia, he went straight to Troas, crossed over into Macedonia, like Philippi, you know, Thessalonica, Berea, went down to Athens, Corinth, and from there he sailed back, went to Jerusalem, and then he went back to Antioch. And that was the second journey. The third journey in purple starts again in Antioch, and then you'll see he goes back to this same region right here, and then from here, what we saw last week in verse 23 is that he had the green light to preach in Asia. So this region that was closed off to him in that second journey was opened up and he began to strengthen all the disciples in this Phrygian uh, region of, and, and Galatia. And then we see him go into the city of Ephesus. That was our text today. Okay? And so in our text in this city of Ephesus, we saw that Apollos was here. And that he was mighty in teaching. He was a very charismatic individual. And he left Ephesus and he went to Achaia. That's Corinth. That's where Priscilla and Aquila were from. And so after Apollos was preaching here, he left the city of Ephesus and he went to Corinth. While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul from the countryside, from this region, he goes to the city of Ephesus. And he begins to question the disciples there, people who, who, who were baptized. And he asks them about, do you know the Holy Spirit? You know what, I've never heard of such a name. And that makes sense because Apollos, who was preaching to them before, was only preaching about John the Baptist. What was John's message? Preparing the way. Repent, for someone greater than I is coming, and we need to get ready for that. So when Apollos was preaching in Ephesus, he was telling everybody, get ready. Get ready. There is going to be something that is going to happen, and we need to repent and be ready for what God is going to do. Because he was unaware that Jesus had already come, and that greater thing that God was going to do had already happened. That was Paul's message. And so Paul gets to Ephesus and he asks, have you heard of the Holy Spirit? Like, no, we've never heard of him. We've only heard of John the Baptist and that we actually just need to get ready for something that God is going to do. And Paul says, that already came. I want you to know that what John preached in the wilderness was fulfilled in the man, Jesus Christ, who is God. And in his name, there is repentance and he can actually dwell within you through the Holy Spirit. That was Paul's message. And so he begins to add that message in the region of Ephesus. And so we see this happening, and I hope you can see it in these colors here. 
Okay? That this message of layers is kind of displayed in these journeys here. It's kind of like the first one was just like that base. Okay, we'll create a base in Lystra, Iconium, Antioch, and we'll kind of use that as a springboard for all of these other journeys that are going to go. And then the second journey adventures off a little bit more. It goes into Europe. And in the third journey, we see it dive deeper in Asia, revisit the churches there in Macedonia, in Corinth, and then head back. And that last journey, the fourth one, is actually his road all the way to Rome for his imprisonment there, right? And so you see the layers. It's building one journey after the other. The first journey planted the church. The second journey, he teaches them further in the Word. The third journey, it's really this constant, continual development and maturation of these churches that have been planted. And layer after layer, their growth, their knowledge, their depth and relationship, it just continues to solidify trip after trip. And I hope we can see that in this map, okay? But zeroing in on our text, let me mention two things today. The first is this, build on the work of others. Now, let's go into two passages that I'll, that I'll give to you in particular. Jesus, when he was ministering, he got to a region and he was sitting by a well. You might know what I'm alluding to. It's in the Gospel of John, recorded in chapter 4. And lo and behold, a woman comes as well to this very well. She was a Samaritan. And Jesus strikes up a conversation with her, and the woman is like, well, me? Like, you're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan, we are, uh, this usually doesn't happen. And Jesus continues to, to ask her some questions and talks to her and really probes into her heart, really knocking on the door, enticing her curiosity, right? And by the end of this conversation, she's like, whoa, how did you know all of this stuff about me? And she heads back home, leaving her jar and wants to bring everybody from her village to come and see this man that has really just blown her mind away. And as the woman goes back, leaving the water pot, the disciples who normally accompany Jesus, they had finally arrived at that well. And they see Jesus there, and Jesus has a conversation with these disciples. And he begins to tell them, and he says, you know what, I don't want you to think uh, about the harvest as something that is far away. And he begins to, to share this in John 4. It says, do, do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and I want you to look on the fields. That they are white for harvest. They are, are, are ready to be plucked. Already he who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for life eternal, so that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this case the saying is true, one sows... And another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you have not labored. Others have labored here and you have entered into their labor. I want you to get that for a second. What Jesus is trying to say is you can actually reap a reward and a harvest in a field and amongst a crop that you have not previously done any work in. You haven't lifted a finger for this, yet if you come now, ready and willing, you can build on what previous people have done, and there you can reap something. That's something powerful, right? 
And it tells us that we don't have to have every original idea. Everything doesn't have to start from us in order for us to get something. That there is a building and a building and a layering and one after the other. And when we engage in certain things, we should build on that which has come before us. Right? I mean, it makes sense in a lot of ways. God, as He looks at the world, I mean, we read Genesis to Revelation, right? And we see from the beginning that, that He created the heavens and the earth, and layer by layer He put water and land, and He filled it, whether the sky or the waters or the land, and we saw man come up, and we saw this progressive revelation of God's creative ability. Right? Just in creation week. And then as it unfolds from Adam to Abraham to Moses, and it goes on all the way through the Old Testament, and we see the, the onset of Jesus and His ministry, and we see how it went forward into the, the known world through people like Paul or Peter, and we see how God works in, in a progressive manner. Progressive, right? You, you, you do one thing to set the stage for the next. Because you have an idea of what you want at the end. I know what I'm doing now it might not make sense to you, but I'm actually doing this so that it prepares itself for step two and three and four and five. Right? To the natural eye, step one and five are not linked. But as I see it, it is progressive and it's going in that direction. And with wisdom, as we look at Scripture, we're able to see that. That God has this progressive way of doing things. In this region that I showed you there in Ephesus, Apollos was there, a charismatic man it talks about, right? He was mighty, right, in the scriptures. He would preach uh, the, the repentance of John the Baptist with, with conviction. People would be following there, right? And to, to the person who's like, like you know what, Ugh. Man, he's preaching the wrong message. He's not getting it right. He's leading people astray. He shouldn't be saying that. And we can look upon his ministry, the ministry of Apollos, and begin to say, you know what? He's just pulling them in the wrong direction. It's better if he just didn't say anything and somebody who had the right message came in and did the right thing. You know, from a certain stance, it's easy to have that type of a judgment. But as we see Paul, Apollos, sorry, mighty in his, in his speech, speaking with conviction to the people in Asia, there in Ephesus, something happened there. And, and Paul comes in and he begins to build on that work. And he doesn't try to tear down what Apollos did. He, he, he does, you know what, whatever that guy previously said to you, I want you to disregard that. That's not how he goes in. And he goes in and he says, you know what, um, is that the message you heard? Let me tell you something in addition to that. I, I want you to know that, that his ministry, in a sense, was a good one. But I need you to know that what he did not know yet, that's what I'm here to tell you. And he begins to preach Jesus to them, and they are immediately filled with the Holy Spirit. right? And, and there was... Uh, this, this ministry that went from Ephesus to Corinth, right? And so Apollos, he has this idea, you know what, I want to go to uh, Achaia, and that's the city of Corinth. That's Paul had built the church there. Priscilla and Aquila were from there. 
And interestingly, Priscilla and Aquila are now in Ephesus where Apollos is, and he has this desire to go to, to Corinth, and they're like, okay, go, go, right? And after he goes, same thing happens in Corinth. Apollos preaches with conviction, this charismatic individual, and people are listening, right? And Apollos arose as a very significant figure in that city. How do we know that? Paul actually wrote about it in one of his letters, right? Because we have two letters to the Corinthians, right? First and second Corinthians. In the first letter of a Corinthians, this is what Paul says, right? Pretty much from the beginning in chapter 3. What then is Apollos? And what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. And interestingly, he designates Apollos as the pioneer. He says, Apollos planted... I mean, sorry, I planted Apollos watered because Paul planted the church there. Apollos came after that. I planted Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So that neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but God who causes the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one. But each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers and you are God's field, God's building. This brings a powerful light into the mindset of Paul as he thought about ministry for God's kingdom. Because you know? the Corinthians, they naturally, as people do, gravitate towards personalities. Doesn't that happen easily? You, know, you gravitate towards people, right? And as Paul planted the church there and he left after the second journey, and some time elapsed. This new guy comes by the name of Apollos. He's been now acquainted with who Jesus is through Priscilla and Aquila. And now he's in Corinth ministering the word to all the people there. And now suddenly, it's not about Paul who planted the church. They're now shouting the name of Apollos. He's our leader. He's, he's greater than Paul. And kind of like a division arose amongst them, right? Paul's camp, Apollos' camp. Ones who were like pro-Paul, pro-Apollos. And word gets to Paul. Hey, uh, you know what, I don't know if you know this, but you know, that church that you planted, there's something happening here. And some are siding with you, but others are saying, no, Paul's message, no, not him. It's all about this new guy. And so Paul takes the initiative and he pens a letter and he sends it to them. He says, you know what? Who, who is Apollos? Who am I? Aren't we just both fellow workers for God? I mean, I might have put a seed down in the ground, but he came with a watering can and he's helping you grow. Both are good. Don't side with one or the other. I want you to know that it's building upon what I have done. And he doesn't try to tear him down. And discredit his ministry. Like, no, I founded that church. My name should be on, on the plaques there. Paul doesn't have that mentality. He's like, you know what? I did my part. Apollos is doing his. And God has a progressive plan for you, the church of Corinth. And I want you to know that we are one. It's all for the same cause, the same end result of building a strong church for God's glory. And this is a powerful perspective to have. That we ought not tear down the work of others just because it's not ours. You know, certain mentality, have you ever been a part of like a corporate takeover where a new boss comes in? And what's the first thing they do? They, like, they clean, clean house, right? They want their people there. People that, uh, that they're comfortable with that will say yes to them, that sort of surround them. And that happens a lot of the times, right? 
And they want to build something their own and put their name out there. And I get that in certain settings. I, I really do. I, I get that. You're building your own team. But to a certain extent, I think it falls short, especially if we're prideful in that. If we feel as though that, no, I cannot, I don't want to build upon something that somebody else has laid. I want to lay my own foundation here. It's a short-sighted way to look at life and work. That when we can look out at ourselves and the work that we do and say, you know what? Stuff has happened before me through other people and I want to value that. I acknowledge it. I don't try to erase it out of the memory bank of everybody in the organization. But I want you to know that that was good. And what I'm here now to do is because God has called me to come in on this season to do a work that builds upon that previous layer. If every person comes in and starts digging up the foundation again, you'll never get high. Nothing will be built. But if you're able to proudly, confidently, humbly stand on a layer that was previously laid and say, you know what, I'm going to build another layer on this. And the next person comes after you and builds another layer on top of that. Then you begin to see something that can actually form and rise for the glory of God. This is what this message is about in layers. For Paul, if I get into his psyche a little bit, or the mindset of any pastor or, or, or leader in a church. Or let's pull back and just talk about when we lead people in general. Sometimes it's easy to fall into the air that we want to be the be-all and end-all for people that we're trying to lead. Right? That I want them to see me as the highest and most influential person. Parents can fall into this error with their kids. I want my kids to see me as the supreme example, right? And I want to be the be-all and end-all for them in their lives. And it's very easy to fall into that line of thinking when we're trying to lead people. And for Paul, whether it be in Ephesus or Corinth, these are places that he's been to. And he has the right message. He's preaching Jesus, the Holy Spirit. Apollos has got it wrong. It's a little bit short-sighted. It's not quite there yet. And how easy it would have been for him to say to himself, wait a minute, why is his name rising up? No, he's got the wrong message, the incomplete one. I need to make sure I have my footing in these communities and that they're still singing my praises. But that's not how he thinks. And I find that tremendously powerful, comforting, encouraging, to see his mindset there, right? Because people... They have multiple influences in their lives. Isn't that true of our lives as we've grown up? How many teachers has, have we had through the years? Right? We don't even remember all of them by name. But in that brief year that we had that teacher, they impacted our lives. We've had friends. You know? We've had coaches in our sport, sporting careers. And each one of them have, have kind of been faithful in that little notch, in that little window of time that they had with us. And it helped shape us in that moment. It helped keep us together. It helped us put another step forward. It helped us think a certain way. And it formed us in that season. And that was a faithful influence. It was a layer of our development and of our lives that was absolutely necessary. Right? Absolutely necessary. And not one person sticks out as this is the be-all and end-all. And we begin to see multiple influences in our lives that help 
shape us to who we are today. I mean, our lives are a prime example of the impact of layers and the necessity of layers. Imagine if it was only one person that was our influence. I mean, how one-sided, how uneven would our development be, you know? We need to have those multiple dynamic stances and perspectives that speak into our lives. This is what helps us to mature, makes us uncomfortable for our own growth. So Paul, he's reaching out to the Christians there and he's, he's teaching them to have a broader perspective on faith, on kingdom, mindsetted stuff. And I find that tremendously powerful because it's pride that makes us want to be that be-all, end-all. It's pride that makes us want to tear down previous layers to build our own. But that's not the mindset of God or the kingdom. And it's about building continually. And I've talked about John the Baptist. John the Baptist is an individual. There is a, a quote in scripture that I have kind of held dear to my heart ever since I first meaningfully read it, you know, years ago. And it's a quote from uh, John the Baptist. John, if if you aren't aware, is the older cousin of Jesus, right? Six months older than Jesus. And John started out in ministry earlier, right? Maybe you've kind of had this imagery of, G, uh, of John as this burly man, right? This rough man who's out in the wilderness eating locusts and honey and just kind of preaching repentance and baptizing people in the Jordan River, right? People come into him as this charismatic individual, and well into his ministry, his younger cousin comes on the scene. Jesus, he begins to start baptizing people in the very same region that John was ministering in. And John had his followers, right? He had his disciples, the disciples of John. And once Jesus started preaching and started baptizing and just doing ministry, suddenly, like, People weren't just coming to the Jordan to see John. They were coming to the river to see Jesus now. And, and like, they were slowly going this way, being baptized by him, Jesus. And then something intriguing happens. The disciples of John come up to him, their leader, and they begin to ask him a question. Are you okay with this? Like, Jesus is baptizing are you fine? And his reply is intriguing. I'll read for you in John chapter 3, starting from verse 22. After these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea, and there he was spending time with them and baptizing. And John also was baptizing in Anon and Salem because there was much water there. And they were coming and were being baptized, for John had not yet been thrown into prison. And there arose, therefore, a discussion on the part of John's disciples with the Jew about purification. And they came to John and they said to him, Rabbi, and this is to John the Baptist, Rabbi, 
He who was with you beyond the Jordan, speaking of Jesus, to whom you have borne witness, behold, he's baptizing and all are coming to him. John answered and he said, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. He who has the, the, the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. And so this joy of mine has been made full. And this is the quote that has stuck with me for years. He must increase, but I must decrease. This is the prayer that I pray every week before I come up to speak. And the prayer that I have is, God, help me to decrease and just get out of the way of what you want to say today. Like, I got a passage and I have done this preparation, but I, I, I want me to, to lower, to, to get out of the way, to not hinder what your spirit wants to say. And I pray this faithfully every Sunday before I come up. But what John is saying here is so profound. It takes so much humility to say this, especially in his position, with the influence that he had from the platform that he was standing upon. For him to say this, not many people can say it. And to mean it the way that he did. To say, you know what? Everyone's got his lot. God gave me mine. And it was only to provide a runway for this man. And I'm happy with that. I'm not the bridegroom, he's saying. I'm just a friend. And now that I hear his voice, I want to tell you I'm not sad about it. I'm not sad about being upstaged by this man. I want you to know I am so thrilled. I'm rejoicing inside because this is what I've been waiting for. And I need to lower myself and get out of the way. And this man, Jesus, he needs to rise up. This is a true understanding of God's work, how he does stuff. And I hope we can take this mentality into our families, our workspaces. To know that we can build upon what previous workers have done, what previous generations have done, and regardless of our relationship with our parents, that we can build on their legacy. Regardless of our understanding of our managers, that we can build on what they have done. And have a mindset that builds, not tears down. And there's a way to rebuild stuff that builds yet still up. As I begin to tail off, I'll quickly go through the second point, and it's this. That we need to not only build on the work of others, we need to actually build others up. In our passage, Priscilla and Aquila, they find Apollos. He's preaching, he's charismatic. Priscilla and Aquila were trained under Paul. They're left in Ephesus. This man they begin, become acquainted with, yeah, he's fervent, but he's preaching the wrong message. He's, it's incomplete. They're not preaching Jesus just, just yet. And yet, they take him aside. And they don't rip him apart and say, you're doing the wrong thing. They say, wait a minute. I need you to know that what you're looking forward to has already come. It's been fulfilled in Jesus. And they build him up. 
And then after Apollos hears from Priscilla and Aquila the true message of the gospel, he's like, whoa, this is amazing. And now he wants to go to a new region. He wants to go to their hometown, Priscilla and Aquila's hometown, Corinth. And they're like, yeah, go. We send you. We'll send a letter over there preparing the way for you. We want you to get there. We want you to be a worker over there in Corinth. And they build them up. This is powerful. This is team-oriented, mindseted stuff. And I think it originates, this building others up, it starts from wanting others to succeed. It starts from inside, doesn't it? Because if we really want people to succeed and grow, we do things that builds them up. But if inside we feel as though, like, I don't want to be shown up, like, I actually want to have that, that position or that place, it, it, it shows. And so to build others up, it starts from the mentality of wanting people to succeed. And in a sense, it's contrasting that, that abundance mentality and the scarcity mentality. I, you know, I think a lot of our parents' generation, they grew up amongst the scarcity mentality. What's that? There's not enough. And when there's not enough for everybody, what do you have to do? You like, got to like, make sure you get in front of the line. You cut, you cut the line. You, like, you, you, you section off what, is, uh, what, what you have available just in the window of time. And you just kind of grab. That's scarcity mentality. There's not enough for everybody. So let's make sure we get enough for us. Even if they don't get enough, we need to make sure we get enough for our family. That's scarcity, right? But there's also an abundance mentality. An abundance mentality says there's enough for everybody and then some. And I don't need to stop you from getting what is yours in order for me or us to get and have what is ours. And in a sense, let me translate that to ministry. For Paul, there was enough ministry to go around. That he knew that more workers was a good thing. And it's the mindset that, yes, I'm going pl- to plant something and I want you to continue to build on that. And he saw the framework of God's kingdom in a much bigger way. And I hope that translates into our lives. Praise team, as you come back, I finish with two points. First is this, enlarge your view of your life and work. And I think that's straightforward. Have a bigger perspective on what you're doing. And be able to see your life and what you do in light of what has come before you and what will eventually replace you. I'm sorry to say, you'll be replaced one day. <laughs> it's just going to happen. I, I, I mean, I, it wasn't so long ago that I always thought that I was the youngest one in the room. <laughs> I, I, I look back, what happened? <laughs> Like, it wasn't so long ago where I thought that I was the one always with the freshest ideas, the most energy. Like, what happened? And we need to just have a bigger picture on life. Value what came before and instill worth in what will replace us, what will come after. Second is this. Helping others to grow and succeed glorifies God. Like, if you have a mindset where it's, this is hard to swallow, like, you don't like it, your stomach hurts when other people do well. Like, you know, I, I pray you allow God to just massage and knead and soften that area and just instill just a, a deep sense of peace, joy, and humility there. 
Because when we help others to shine, that glorifies God. When we lift others up and we're not afraid to honor them, because we don't consider it against a, a, a slight against ourselves when we compliment somebody else, you know? But when we're really just with sincerity, wanting people to do well in the workspace, there's more than enough promotions to go around. When, when we really help people and we feel as though just by helping you, it's just, I'm not taking a back, back step just because of that. And when we have the mentality, I, I want to help you do well in your job. I want to help you to do well in your life. That, that mindset alone, I believe, glorifies God. And of course, it translates to the church, right? When we want other people to do well in faith and grow spiritually, and we incorporate others, we help people become from baby Christians to mature Christians. And they outgrow us. I mean, how great is that? If they outgrow us, if they become more spiritually sensitive in tune and strong than us, that's a powerful thing. So let's pray for that. Let's wish that for others. Can I get an amen? Amen. amen.